Today's episode of Does Not Compute is brought to you by Storyblocks. Storyblocks provides unlimited access to a huge library of stock media. The Storyblocks member library includes over 400,000 images, 150,000 videos, and 100,000 audio clips, which makes it super easy to find exactly what you need for your project. In web and app dev, stock media can be invaluable. Blog posts, web page heroes, social media posts, and more can all benefit from having just the right image, video, or sound clip alongside. Even better, since Storyblocks provides unlimited library access, there's no need to worry about getting approval for new stock purchases. Just get whatever you need. Storyblocks is continuing to add new content, so there's always something fresh for your new projects. You can use anything from the Storyblocks library for commercial or personal projects, and everything is royalty-free. Normally, Storyblocks costs $149 per year for unlimited access to each part of the library, photos, videos, and audio. However, as a special offer for listeners of Does Not Compute, you can get unlimited access to the whole library for a year for just $149 total. All you have to do is head over to storyblocks.com slash doesnotcompute and sign up. Thanks again to the folks at Storyblocks for supporting the show, and make sure to check out storyblocks.com slash doesnotcompute today. I'm pretty tired right now, so I'm having hard times recalling things. Yeah, I always have hard times recalling things. Uh, I woke up yesterday at 9 a.m., which is quite the feat for me, for anybody who knows me. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then I packed I packed my house all day long um, until we finally ended up leaving around 6 p.m. And uh, yeah, I got everything that was in my house cleaned and moved out into my van and i live in a van now officially i've been threatening it for years this is good uh you had your if you could maybe request to join that slack group digital nomads although i hear it costs money to get in there but you can yeah, i don't i don't know if you can officially be a digital nomad unless you're in there but you're semi officially unofficially a digital nomad now yeah i guess i guess so i hadn't thought of it in those terms but now I hate myself a little. <laughs> no, I'm excited though. I think it'll be. I think it'll be really good. Um, and we're we're back up. We're actually at my parents right now, parked while we do final things. We got to swap out the fridge, and I got to mm. finish up the light project that I keep talking about, um, and all that kind of stuff. But we're in, and like now we can start making it a real home, as it were. Yeah, you got to get a VPN added to your light setup because you're not safe until you do that. So I don't become part of the botnet. Right. Well, yeah, because you don't want the most insecure thing about your van to be your lights. You wouldn't want that to happen. Yeah, I probably should make sure that uh, Raspbian is all up to date and patched and firewalled and whatever it needs to be. What, what now? The, just the Raspberry Pi operating system that's oh, controlling the It's called the lights. Raspbian? Raspbian? I think that's what it's called. Oh. Maybe it's called something different now. I think at one point, at least, it was called that. I've been playing some Destiny 2, and for some reason, again, I'm tired. For some reason, you said Raspbian, and I heard Rasputin, and I was like, you've got a Warmind computer in there? <laughs> how, is, uh, how is Destiny 2, Sean? We haven't really uh, talked about it very much. It's very smooth. Very, very smooth. So in, in today, I actually played a couple games of PUBG, and it felt like garbage. It felt like... It had no, in terms of movement mechanics, um, it had no life. It felt like just stiff. It felt very stiff. The gameplay felt very stiff. And Destiny's gameplay feels very fluid. Uh, It feels very snappy and fluid. And uh, PUBG is about as far opposite as you get uh, in the terms of mechanical feelings in playing. I I played my first couple rounds of PUBG in, I don't know, a month or two at least. Uh the other night and I had the exact same feeling. I haven't been playing Destiny, but I was like, wow, this just feels 
not good. I feel like the servers have gotten even worse somehow since the last time I was playing mm, a lot. Yeah, I've heard people saying that they put out a couple of updates and things just got worse uh, since since those updates. So it just seems like it just seems like they they keep on making like here we fix this and this and then A B and C breaks on the side or gets worse on the side. It's just not a thing. I mean, the game is fun. The idea is great. Um, I like it more than Fortnite. I, I've played Fortnite a little bit with you and a little bit with my brother, and um, I like PUBG's realism better, but it just doesn't feel good. So, but like Destiny for me kind of hits that hits that sweet spot of like MMO RPG and also um, snappy competitive uh, FPS, which I like. I like the competitive as- competitive aspect of it. I I always felt that that was the strongest aspect of Destiny One is just the how how tight everything was. Yeah, every single thing in that game just felt so snappy and so good. Um, that that's definitely something something Bungie has a a very good talent for. Well, it's funny because you think about it, how much money PUBG has made, just millions and millions, right, in revenue. Even though they're not officially launched or anything, they've made lots of money. So I think they're like seven hundred million dollars. Yeah, it's, it's a so huge number. number. And then you think about how much money it took to, to make Destiny. I don't know off the top of my head, uh, but it's a AAA title. So, you know, seemingly a, a good pile of money. And you always hear, or I've heard people in the past say, well, like, they'll, they'll, you know, this game is not very good because they didn't have that much money. Uh, and it's kind of funny when you look at PUBG, they got, you know, they're Scrooge McDuckin on their way to work every day. And, and the game doesn't feel good at all. It doesn't play well. And then you look at Destiny, who, you know, obviously a lot of money went into it, but it's so tight. And I think the difference there is experience, probably. Well, probably experience and also time. Like, yeah, they, they have a lot. PUBG has a ton of money now, but they didn't necessarily. Like, I'm sure they were working with budgets and timeline constraints, and they still are. And, and like, just because they get money doesn't mean the game will instantly become better overnight. Yeah, that's exactly. Exactly. It's just not going to. Uh, it looks like Activision... Um, Spent five hundred million on Destiny Two. Was it Act? Is it Activision now? Do they own Bungie? What's the? I I don't know. I just Googled it, and Fortune dot com was the first one that came up, and it said Activision's five hundred million investment may finally pay off. That's a big chunk of cat. That's a lot <laughs> That's of people so much working money. for many years on a thing, and so like, yeah, it is going to be more polished. Oh, it was crazy because when I beat the story mission or the story mode, you know, you sit through the credits, and I watched all of them, and it wasn't just Activision; it was like dozens of studios different studios doing very specific things and obviously each each studio has multiple people and it's just a crazy number of of time and energy and you think about how many people were involved like how many human hours were involved like how long did it actually take if you if you compile all that stuff together it's kind of kind of wild but yeah it's not even comparable they're just destiny is so snappy i mean a lot of people complain about it things compared to destiny one but i don't play it as much as i did destiny one and i'm not super into lore or anything like that so for me it's just kind of i don't want to work right now and uh, i'm too tired to do anything else so i'm going to compete a little bit in the crucible and get some get some blood flowing and uh it like hits a sweet spot for me there i mean at the end of the day i feel like it's just two very it's the opposite ends of the spectrum of how you might choose to develop a game and these are both these are two obviously very big very successful games but they were made in such different ways and i don't think either one is necessarily a better or more valid approach but it's just like a, it's a different approach PUBG is hopefully <laughs> hopefully mm, hopefully <laughs> gonna get a lot better 
I wish really, really quick now that they do have those resources and they do know that it's a viable idea and they, they have a player base. And so that'll actually enable them, hopefully, hopefully, to move hopefully, faster yeah. and, and build something that's really great. Whereas, uh, I mean, Activision and whoever else was, would, was all involved with Destiny 2, that, I mean, it, it's, it's really, it's, I guess, like a, a waterfall process for design and development versus uh, somebody who's designing stuff in the browser or whatever. Like two <clears throat> completely different approaches to potentially similar end products. Neither one is more or less valid. They're just different. That's okay. Yeah, yeah, that's a good way to put it. It's kind of like PUBG been... does. PUBG does suck right now, though. Let's be let's be hundred <laughs> yeah, percent clear. It's really bad. Clear. It's really really difficult and painful to play a lot of the times. Yeah, it's it's very. It was I basically struggled like all the way around. I'm not talking to you, Siri. She triggered on. It's very uh, into the search for me. That's uh, drives me insane. Anyhow, um, yeah. So I basically jumped in, struggled around on some hills, and got sniped from somewhere. And then I was like, I'm done. <laughs> <laughs> drove a dossier around a little bit uh yeah then i got sniped out and i was done but yeah it's not well, there's it's only not there's only so many times you can land not be able to pick up items because of lag and then get shot right. and still be having right. a good time not be able to jump <laughs> over anything um not being able to uh, even just like <laughs> okay there's a hole in this fence let me jump over i can't do it nope not gonna work uh okay but then there's like this fence i shouldn't be able to jump but i can crouch jump over it somehow um, it's just, yeah, it's just, just frustrating. I don't know. I, I was feeling nostalgic about it. So I tried it out and then I just remembered immediately why, why I moved to something else in the first place. But, uh, the, the point that you made about, uh, both ways are perfectly valid and both ways can lead to perfectly good games. Uh, there was a thread in a spectrum chat. I think it was, I don't know which, which channel it was in, but the title of the the post was uh, if you were making an Airbnb like MVP, what tech stack would you choose? And I think I was the first one to arrive at the scene, and I said, "Well, you know, you ask ten people, you're going to get five different answers." And uh, you know, and then of course came all the different answers, and, and that was that was interesting because a bunch of people liked my like put my response like right away, and he was like, "That's fine. I just want to just want to see." you know, why people would choose something, which wasn't his original question. I'm glad he clarified that because I don't think anybody would have posted why. Um, sure. <laughs> if he wouldn't have, everyone would just would have been fighting over what was what was best. Um, but it was just interesting to, to look at all the different, you know, people, people tend to pick what they're comfortable with. And so that's what they'll choose. A few people said Elixir, a few people said um, Express or, you know, insert Express derivative framework there and uh most everyone said react and some sort of graphql which i thought was interesting as well um but all of the answers could theoretically lead to a perfectly well-functioning web app and well-functioning mvp it's just i think it's 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 the experience that goes into it it's i guess there's so many things that go into it that affect the outcome you know the design like how well the design's implemented how well the design's even thought through um through to the development how it's executed everything but it was just interesting to see all the different answers in there i think what's interesting to me there is that there's a couple ways to approach that question it's like the the first way is what i would call the legitimate way 
where you're saying, okay, I'm curious, what are what are the tech stacks out there that people are using to build things with these re- general sets of requirements these days, and why are they interested in using them? Mm-hmm. And then you you learn from that, and you just kind of keep up to date with industry stuff. And and I think that's great. I think that's a really good and productive discussion to have. But then the other the other side of that that unfortunately I think happens pretty pretty often is people people will ask that question because they're like. They're basically saying, hey, I want to build this thing. What should I build it in? Right. And I, I think that's not really a useful question because the answer to that is, well, you can pay me a bunch of money and I can come sit down with you for a couple of weeks in a room and we can sort out exactly what your requirements are and and what's going to work well for this particular problem set. Right. But but other than that, you're not you're like not going to really get a whole lot out of this discussion or at least not the thing I think you want to get out of it. Yeah, yeah. It, I mean, it was a pretty shallow discussion. There wasn't a lot of explanation as to why some people just mentioned like this is why I might use it, but most of it was just list technology ABC, and that was that was it. So there, I don't think there was any really knowledge gained in any of the responses there. There was no like not many explanation, including myself, you know, because it's not what he asked for. But yeah, yeah, I think it was it was just it struck me interest as interesting as looking at all the different ways you could build something, and they could all lead to perfectly good products. There's just so many different variables. I, I also thought it was interesting that a lot of people almost started with the front end stack and seemed to work backwards. They would say like React and GraphQL and insert whatever database they might want to use. A lot of people were saying like Rethink or you know any other document. Like I don't think Rethink is a document-based database, but they would like say you know Rethink or uh, what's the one I'm thinking of? Mongo. Uh, and a lot of them liked to stick to acronyms as well, like MERN, which I think was Mongo, Express, React, and something else. I can't remember what it was. But yeah, it was just it was just interesting. So there, that led me to start thinking about, well, if you're building an a, a, like a like an MVP, what are the moving parts that you need? What like what are the what's the minimum uh, number of things that you would need to make an MVP style application? And in my mind, that's a data store, and uh, a collection of functions that you can pass data. You can collect data from the user and pass it to your data store, which that would be your server stack and uh, some HTML. Like that's what, that's realistically what you need, right? Well, and a a client, I, I think, is sure. So that that could be HTML, that could be iOS thing, that could be an Android thing, whatever. Yeah, yeah. But just a some sort of consumer. Yeah, and that's really you just need to pick those three parts and and what the right answer is. I mean that. In a lot of ways, it's not even a tech question, at least for the client part of it. For the client part of it, a lot of the question is a, is actually a business question. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because like, really what is. what kind of market are you trying to hit? Are you going native mobile first? Are you going web first? What are you like? You, these are things that people, I think, tend to kind of treat like tech decisions that actually really aren't, and and are really really questions that need to be answered on the business side. Yeah, and I think there's a lot of like smashing you know, square blocks into a round hole. Like, okay, so he specifically said Airbnb style app. Um, so that in itself implies a bunch of maybe rules, I guess. Like it implies a bunch of requirements, right? So thinking about what Airbnb does and that I think is where you can choose your stacks. And I obviously we own it. We, we know mostly like Airbnb uses Ruby quite a bit and they also use React quite a bit. Um, anything else in between there, I, I don't really know a whole lot about. Um, but it's just interesting that, uh, that, that, that didn't really seem to be considered either. It was, it was just like a lot of acronyms and 
um, popular libraries and such thrown in there. I don't know. It was just something that got me thinking. So, Sean, you actually just launched another rearchitecture of an app. Uh, mm. I'm I'm kind of I'm kind of astounded, really. Mm. So you did the the Design Collective Elixir redoing. So it was written in Rails, and you rewritten it in Elixir and mm-hmm. launched mm-hmm. it. Mm-hmm. And the Rails component is completely dead now, right? It's gone. Uh, well, it, the slug is still sitting on Heroku, but it's not doing anything. Okay, okay. But it's like, it's like powered off and everything even. No requests are flowing through it. It's hibernating. All right, nice. And now you've actually updated the Knight Foundation website as well to, mm-hmm. it was view one before, now it is view two with Nuxt, correct? Uh, yeah, that's right. That's correct. So now you've done a big Nuxt product. What do you think? Uh, We've talked about it so much and you had, <laughs> you had only really dabbled before. So I'm really, yeah. uh, I'm really curious. I like it a lot. So I, I say... Well, we can say like a big project with an asterisk on it because I haven't, the, the night site doesn't have any sort of like authentication or authorization involved. It's purely just a read only client that pulls data from the API. Uh, so that removes quite a bit of complexity in my mind. But that said, there is some complexity there um, because it is a big, it's a whole thing. <laughs> and actually, it was timed really well because we have some new projects coming up next year. Um, where that we're making some design changes and, and adding some new features, um, trying to make the reports and, and things like that just kind of smoother, I guess. And I don't want to say like a medium-like experience, but we want to make it a better reading experience for people that that read those. So previously, it was the night site was written in D version one because that's what was out at the time, and it was. Just, I think it was like really the first spa that I had ever built or tried to build, and so I just kind of ran with how I, you know, thought things would work well, and it worked pretty okay. It was just hard to change things. So, and I guess another thing that you'd have to know about this is that during the building of the original night site, we were also going through a lot of design changes as well. So we were kind of running in tandem, and. Uh, Along with design changes and, and updates being happening as the app was being built, there were also like features changing, right? Like backend features changing, API features changing at the same time that the, the client was being built. So I couldn't, because of time, just go back and redo a few features from scratch. I just kind of had to like build onto the, the house, like add a add a little, another room onto the house, so to speak. And while it works, like the house is livable, it's not the best house. Um, so, uh, I think the biggest, the biggest gain I got from Noxt was just organization. Uh, that was a huge, a huge boon. And I'm a big fan of, or mostly a big fan of using libraries or frameworks or what have you that kind of give you some rules. Like here are the rules, play within the rules and you'll be good. And I think that's what kind of Noxt, what Noxt did for me. Uh, whereas with version one, I kind of made up my own rules, but I didn't have any experience making up those rules. Like I'd never made those rules before for myself. So Nux really helped me be productive because here are my guidelines. I stick to them and I build things a certain way and it just works. Yeah. Nux is, is very good at that. That's one of those things. I mean, I, I have very mixed feelings on it in the Rails world um, because I disagree with some of the conventions, I guess. But <laughs> sure. but that's also one of the things that, that Rails did very well uh, historically is, is just like, hey, here's Here's how you do all these things, and you can do all those things and assemble them into bigger things, and that's your app. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And Nuxt, Nuxt, I feel like, strikes a really good balance of having that plug-and-play where you can get up and running quickly, but also still not, not feel boxed in, I guess. 
Yeah, yeah. I think one of the, the biggest benefits, I think actually maybe the largest benefit to doing this conversion is having the server-side rendered stuff happen first. Uh, so we talked a bunch probably in past episodes about using prerender.io and specifically how I did it with Knight where um, pre-rendering for them is huge. You know, they get shared on social media quite a bit. So it's very important that the the unfurls look good. And uh, they have enough traffic to where using... So I wasn't using the pre-rendered.io service because it was getting a little bit expensive, like more expensive than I, than I thought was worth it. And so they have the open source version. So I was using that. And by default, it caches... So you, if, if a robot hits it and it chunks up that view, it'll cache that view in memory, uh, which is an amazing, it's not great. And uh, I never really had time to go back and cache those on Redis or just set up a different sort of caching system for it. And basically, was <laughs> so so stupid when I say this now, but basically what happened is the server would just restart itself and clear the memory out. So when it when it tapped out, the the pre-rendered IO has a setting that like when the mat the, the the memory is getting close to the, you can set a threshold but when the memory is getting close to full it just restarts the pre-render server um, <laughs> okay and it doesn't like break anything but if someone happened like if someone happened to share a story right then when the server was restarting then the unfurl would either not happen or it would take uh, a number of seconds to come back and in general the unfurl server wasn't that quick even though we had it on a pretty powerful Heroku uh setup it just wasn't that fast um which i think also kind of plays into like search engine rankings and all that stuff you might share something in slack and it might take a few seconds before the info would pop up it just felt kind of sluggish so um yeah as, as soon as i deployed the next server i kind of sat around for a couple hours which is why i'm tired today um because that this was like 3 a.m and yeah so i just i turned that sucker off and it's like that's been huge because now the the unfurls happen instantly. That means that any robots that are crawling the site or like Facebook bots or like Twitter bots, Twitter cards, et cetera, render instantly. And on top of that, the um, the library, I think it's Vue Meta. It's not Vue Head. I think it's Vue Meta. Um, but the library used for doing the meta stuff, I'll put it in the show notes either way, because there's two of them. And with Vue version one, I think there was one called Vue Head or yeah, Vue Head that I used. And I'm pretty sure I can, let me look at it up right now. Because um, one's server-side compatible, one's not. And I'm pretty sure Vue Meta is the one that Nuxt uses. Yes, that's the one. Vue-Meta is the one. Um, but the way that Vue Meta and Nuxt work together make it make it dead easy to um, really nail really nail all the meta information and all of the the social tags, the Twitter card tags, and the and the OG tags, which I think is um, is super important to the people that I work with at night. So that makes it really easy for me to kind of abstract like functions and pull them out and make sure that um, all of the edge cases, because with their CMS is kind of like a block built CMS, so they can drag different content blocks into an order and that constitutes a post. And so there's different conditions like, okay, if a hero block is in the first position of these content blocks, then that should um, override the header that you see on the page, but also that should override the SEO, like OG image and stuff. So it made it really easy for me to kind of do all that at the same time in tandem without having stuff scattered all around. Yeah, I believe uh, View Meta is actually maintained by some of the same core members as the Nuxt team now. Um, so there, there is like a real incentive for them to make it work well together. Yeah, yeah, it works great. It works, it works amazingly well. I feel like I feel like SSR though for sure is such a such an important thing, especially for that 
uh, all the robots. And, and pre-rendering is it, it's a good idea, and it's like a nice, uh, relatively simple solve for that problem. Mm-hmm. But it really, anytime you have user-generated content, even if it's uh, like with Knight, it's obviously just their employees posting things and contributors posting things to the site. But that's still, I mean, that's still user-generated content, right? Right. In, yeah. in some sense, in, in term in terms of how the how the pre-rendering service views it. But anytime you've got like dynamic pages that are just going to be popping up on your site, I feel like pre-rendering is real hard to scale well. Yeah. 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 It just, I mean, they would, I mean, they get a good number of, of traffic. And like I said, the Heroku instance, the Heroku Dino was pretty powerful and it was still just capping. And I, you know, that's just because it was just tossing that stuff into memory, but it's just infinitely better now in, in every respect. Even if, even if I were storing caches in Redis, um, there's just, you don't have to worry about that. You don't have to worry about any of that stuff. I just deleted the Dino. I don't need it anymore. It's gone. You know, hundred bucks. Yeah, pre-rendering is a lot of, it's a lot of moving parts. It's a lot of moving parts. Yeah. It's a lot of moving parts. Just things that can things that can break. Another thing to monitor. Another thing that yeah, you have to maybe you're going to overflow the memory and it's rebooting every once in a while, and that's a thing you have to be thinking about. And <laughs> it's just when it's SSR, yeah. there is a bit more of that investment up front, but it's such a it's such a boon in the long term. Um, and like you said, it's so easy to change that 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 head data, all those mm-hmm. social tags, all that stuff, and just redeploy, and it's there, it's done, it's working, and every, everything gets it the same, and it's. Just set. You're just done. You know, I didn't think about it until now. I was just looking, I'm looking at through the code right now for the Nuxt app and it just feels so much more organized and clean, but it's it's got a uniform API. So anytime you're working with like plugins or middleware or anything that's not like a view component itself, it basically is just a function that takes a context object and the context object holds like the app data, the current route, your, it ha- holds access to your, your Vuex store, anything like that. And it's funny when I'm looking at this, this reminds me a lot of the the con or the connection variable in Elixir. Elixir holds all of the connection data and basically uh, in a nutshell, when you're using uh, any Phoenix-based application, when you hit the site, it spins up a con and the con gets passed through the stack until it comes out at the other side as a response. So con is there it's at got the like beginning. Everything about who's requesting it and, yes, and all the yep. request parameters and head header stuff and all that I'd imagine. Right? Exactly. But also it stores any anything that you need to access anywhere else. So for example, if you have like a current user, um, you would store that information in in the Kana science uh, map. Uh, but it's very similar because the con always has the same stuff in it. You can you can pretty much rely on that. And if you're if you're building plugs or anything like that, which Phoenix is just a bunch of plugs uh, in a nutshell, uh, it takes a con and returns a con. And if you're looking at Nuxt, like middleware or plugins, it takes in the context, and uh, it doesn't necessarily always return the context, but it will always you always take in the context, and the context always has the same hooks available. And it's a very nice API to work with. It makes it predictable. And uh, when I'm going through different uh, files, they, it just all looks pretty uniform. Maybe maybe the guts of the file do different things, but the signatures all look pretty much the same. Yeah. Yeah, 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 that that is one of the really great things. You hop into any file, and it's like, oh, I I can navigate it pretty easily, and things make sense, and it's easy to find what's causing something to happen, even if it's in a, a middleware or or something like that. I feel as though I'm because there is such a defined structure. A lot of times, it's just there. There's less of a a cognitive burden for me to yeah, be able to go yeah. and be like, oh, I instead of having to look through five different folders or something. Um, it's just there's pretty much one spot for anything to be. If it runs yeah, on the server, yeah, I know yeah. where it's going to be. Where I know I know where it is. If it runs only on the client, I know where it is. And 
it's easy to jump back and forth. Um, they've they've done such a good job with that. Really awesome stuff. What are you what are you doing now in your for your JavaScript? Are you just doing like Babel, ES six, ES mm-hmm. whatever? Yeah, I've been doing that. I haven't really changed it up since I moved from CoffeeStream. Actually, uh, a big change, and this is probably what took. Uh, that's not true. It didn't take me that long because there's a sick project I'll link in the show notes called Decaffeinate. But um, I moved everything from Coffee to ES6 from night one to night two. Um, so it's pretty much just vanilla ES6 using Babel. Um, yeah, I'm not doing anything fancy. I recently thought about bringing Flow into the mix, introducing Flow into the family, uh, so to speak. I uh, haven't done that yet. I thought about doing it this morning, but I stopped myself because I needed to get uh, a change out quick for night. And I was like, I should add a flow here. And I was like, I shouldn't do that. I should just do the change. <laughs> right. But yeah, yeah I, I finally come around. I'm all my new stuff is, is ES6 now. It's pretty good. It's gotten really good. It's yeah, it's a lot better, especially now that the tools, now that the tools I'm using are designed with ES6 syntax in mind. Uh, I like Vue and Nux. There's there's both some things where they'll use like uh, what is it the spl- the triple dot? Is it called splat spread? Uh, spread for spread for merging over. merging yeah merging objects. Um, now that those are actually kind of incorporated into a lot of a lot of the tools that I'm using a lot, it, it's just kind of natural and it, it really has been pretty pretty great. I was really hesitant to leave CoffeeScript and I'm still still kind of bummed. There is some stuff that I really love from CoffeeScript. I'm always gonna miss it, but it's time. Yeah, I, I feel the same way. And, you know, I, I really like, it's funny because Elixir is my favorite language now. There's just several features that it has that I wish every language that I worked with had. Um, and it's funny because right now I'm looking at a destructuring assignment. Um, so any any of the time you get the context that I mentioned from Nux, you can destructure it and grab only the pieces out that you want, like app or route sure. or store or whatever. And every time I see that, I just think in my mind, that's essentially pattern. It's kind of like pattern matching Elixir, only not quite as powerful and i just want it to be pattern matching <laughs> i want it so bad i was talking to uh, uh my uh, friend of the show kevin uh and he's just in a different world like he's doing php and he's loving it and that's awesome and he's taking up view a little bit and uh, we were having we we're having back and forth at each other because uh, he was sending me php code and i scolded him for using tabs and then um we went back and forth on functional versus class-based because uh, he's a, a fan of class-based and i like functional right now which it was, it's always fun to kind of like rib each other a little bit, but I just, yeah, I don't know. Like I really do like the spread operator. Like you said, I like being able to destructure things. It's just, I'm just used to it now, I guess. Like I don't find myself thinking about coffee script at all because I haven't written it in so long that it just isn't up there anymore in my brain. Yeah. I mean, I honestly, I, I think the tools part of it is, is just the biggest thing for me because when ES6 was first, when we were first being introduced to these features and stuff, the way I wrote JavaScript was just so different mm-hmm. than it is now. It was like, it was a completely different thing. I, yeah. I would still use jQuery in projects and it was mostly like you would have a script for each page that did the stuff for that page. <laughs> right. And, and it's like just wildly, wildly different from how anything is done today in the JS world. Yeah. And, right. And rightfully so the, the, the what we're doing now is just so much more powerful and, and just, just a really miraculous compared to what it, how it was even just a few years ago. Oh yeah, it's crazy. Uh, I feel I, I feel so much more productive. And uh, it, it's it's cool that like Nuxt is it just is constant for me now because it's a, such a good tool in my mind. Uh, and what's interesting is that we have some more projects coming up with Night where we're going to be redoing some of the admin panel uh, from the rail side, and I'm halfway tempted to just build a Nuxt app <laughs> instead of yeah. Like, I would 
it converting because the whole admin side is like view version one and coffee script and there's already an api so why not instead of like having converted all why not build the build it piece by piece <laughs> in a new app yeah definitely i would have to be convinced quite a bit like i would need some really solid evidence and reasoning to do anything other than a nuxt app right now yeah in terms of for, view for any or? for any new project well just in term just in terms of like if i needed to build a web ui basically. i see yeah 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 yeah, yeah. um I just don't see much reason to use anything else. It's really good. It yeah, it's it's great. So I'm I'm very tempted. I think the biggest thing is like the and I was going to ask you about this too. Um, the biggest thing for me is like the styling stuff because it would having someone design. Uh, so like the the night admin at the time was like, uh, let me find let me find a good looking bootstrap theme. Let's go with it because we didn't have one. Uh, sure. So that's what it is, and it works. Uh, it could be better though. And so we're looking at having a designer actually like work with them to build out what they want as an admin panel. And so a bulk of the work obviously is going to be converting it, you know, from view one to view two, but also a large portion, almost a larger portion of the work would actually be building up a style guide from the ground when previously there wasn't one. So not only are you changing and like converting from view one to view two, but you're also changing all of the markup. You're changing all of the styles which in my mind is more work because the API doesn't need to change. And a lot of the the view um, or the night backend uses the API anyway. So in my mind, it seems like a good case to spin it out into a separate app. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, it almost seems like it would kind of be more work to to try to retrofit the existing stuff yeah. in a lot of ways. Yeah. And then, and then, I mean, there's other things too, like things I'm planning on doing with DK is like having one-off apps for specific things. So if they have employees that really only are editing content, maybe we can do like a really badass content editor that's not necessarily like built into the full thing, if that makes sense. Like maybe there, maybe there's like a bunch of mini apps kind of involved. I'm not trying to go full microservice, but um, it seems like if that's really a huge focus and there needs to be a lot of time and focused effort spent on building a tool for that. And that doesn't always necessarily fit within the context of the larger admin app, if that makes sense. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. But um, that leads me to my question, which was, since I've been doing so much backend work for the past year, it feels like I haven't really done any sort of like styling or anything, which is strange for me to say that. I think this is like the first time ever since I've been a developer where I've done vastly more backend work than I have frontend work. Um, how the crap do we even write CSS anymore? I don't know. I wish I knew, but I don't <laughs> either. I don't think it's weird, right? Because it used to just be like you wrote CSS and that's what it was. <laughs> Everyone just wrote it. And then like the, the utility class thing happened and I was like, wow, this makes a lot of things very easy. And then now there's the whole component based CSS things, which I'm like, that seems like it would work great. Uh, I have no practice in doing it and I haven't looked at any code bases that also do it, but I also don't use react. So it's going to be different anyway. <laughs> and yeah, it's, uh, yeah. So I feel CSS is weird for me, man. I feel like I, I was really, really good at writing CSS mm-hmm. for quite some time. And then, uh, and then I suddenly became not good at writing CSS that I, I don't yes. quite understand. It, it's really, it's really odd to me. Yes. Um, and so I guess I'll just say where I'm at now, like what I've been doing lately, because I have been doing a lot of a lot of CSS things lately. And so what I'm doing is mostly a mix of utility classes for things like spacing and grid. Mm-hmm. And then like some button styles and that sort of thing. 
things that are just super universal. I'll have utility classes for, and then the rest of it is pretty much just uh, just component styles. Like each component just gets a little CSS thing at the bottom, and I just write whatever it needs there. Yeah, and it's scoped, and right? It, so yeah, and it's yeah, it's always scoped. So there's there's no worry about collisions or or too much cascade or whatever. Mm-hmm. It, it's it's pretty good. <laughs> too much. It's not I got too much. It's too much. Yeah, ball. it's. It's, I don't know, man. I, I feel like there was, there's this whole movement to not write CSS mm-hmm. to like write the CSS once and then be done with it. And, and I, I don't know. I, I feel like maybe that has, I, I guess it's like everything. There's, there's so many different ways to approach it. Like we were talking about earlier, you can develop a game in, in different ways. You can go the early access kind of route, or you can super polish first and spend years and years on it and then release it as a fine, as more of a finished thing, at least mm-hmm. yeah. there'll still be DLC and all that, but. And neither one of those is necessarily more or less valid. It's just completely different approaches. And and at the end, I guess, probably just for different teams, right? Different right. approaches are going to work. Some people are going to want to have everything utility classes just because that's how they've agreed to work. Some people are going to be like, really enjoy using component styling. Some people are probably still loving BEM. I don't know. Sure. Yeah, I guess it depends on what they're building, how it's being built, like you said. Like I would love to do comp- like com- uh, component based styles for for night or not night but uh, design collective but the majority of design collective is server rendered and I did that for a very specific reason so I can't yeah I guess it is just context specific but I think that's where I think the big thing is that I just like you said there was a shift and there's been some changes and the old way I used to write it doesn't feel like it quite fits what I've how I work now and right. I think that's where the feeling comes from is how I work now is very different from how I used to work. And I haven't spent enough time thinking about how CSS applies to that. Uh, because mostly utility-based classes get me, you know, they get me 85% of the way there, um, 90% of the way there. Um, the other 5% is when I think about it, or the five, the other 10%, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> when I think about it is what makes me feel unsure, which is funny, right? Because it's such a small percentage to make like totally rock my foundation in something in a language I've been writing for a very long time. <laughs> All it takes is a little, little percent. Yeah, man. CSS is, CSS is crazy. I, I think it causes me more anxiety than any other part of programming is doing all the styling of stuff. Yeah. So that's something I'll have to figure out eventually, but I don't know. I just, it was just something I was thinking about today and uh, a little bit last night and I started to Google it, but then I forced myself to go to bed because I had stayed up most of the night on Friday night. Yeah, I'm trying to be better about sleeping. And uh, yeah, so I forced myself, I was like, nope, not doing it. I put my laptop down and went to sleep, which I would never have done a year ago. So Speaking of sleep, I actually have to go uh, make my RV sleepable. We haven't, <laughs> we haven't slept on like a normal mattress in a couple of weeks because we sold all our bedroom set and stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I'd like to make sure I have a bed tonight. So yeah. I guess this is the end of the podcast. <laughs> Uh, I'll talk to you later. All right. See you, man. Thanks for listening to Does Not Compute. Remember to check out our sponsor, Storyblocks, by visiting storyblocks.com slash does not compute. Storyblocks provides unlimited access to over half a million stock photos, videos, and audio clips. Even better, by signing up at storyblocks.com slash does not compute, you'll get access to the entire library for just $149 for your first year. Thanks, Storyblocks.
my mind is so full of thoughts that have nothing to do with this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> it's fine. Mm, one of those days. Uh, 